Scripture reading is from Luke 2:52, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. And 2 Peter 3:18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Help those of you who know this, and I want you to sing it with gusto, if you can recall it. Let me just do the opening line. Here's the story of a lovely lady, okay? Uh, if you're under 35, think TV land, okay? I need your help. Ready? Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. Keep going. All of them had hair of gold like their mother, the youngest one in curls. Uh, story of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. They were four men living all together, yet they were all alone. All right. Till the, no, okay. Uh, let me just ask, because I know Mary Jane, my wonderful deacon and assistant, has David Cassidy pictures all in her office. Okay, Brady Bunch or Partridge family? Brady Bunch, Partridge family. Ooh, Brady Bunch wins. Okay, very good. Just curious. Don't let Mary, is Mary Jane here? Don't let her know that. Uh, One of the most memorable episodes of the Brady Bunch that I recall was when Bobby, the youngest brother, was tired of being the littlest, and so he wanted to make himself grow. How many of y'all remember what he did? Okay, remember he got onto the swing set? Okay, you remember? Got onto the swing set and just, just hung there, thinking that in some way that was going to stretch him and make him grow. And he tried it a few times, and he put like some masking tape on a door in, in hopes that it would work, and it wasn't working at first, and he was despairing over that. And the three lovely sisters, the youngest one in curls, by the way, uh, were feeling bad for him, and so they thought they would help out, but in the long run it didn't work out all that great. But uh, let's just watch a little clip of it. Poor Bobby. He keeps measuring himself all the time. And he gets grumpier and grumpier. No wonder he's trying so hard to get tall. If he would just grow a little, even a half an inch would encourage him. but I don't think an inch and a half. Not since yesterday. But I measured myself three times. A half inch plus one whole inch. No, it's only a half an inch. How do you know it's only a half an inch? Well... Yeah, how do you know, Cindy? I made the mark a half inch lower so that Bobby would think he grew. Cindy. I'm 
sorry. Well, that's okay. I still grew an inch. No, only a half an inch. You did the same thing, too? Well, a half inch isn't bad. Bobby. Oh, no. I guess we should have checked with each other. Oh, those Brady's. Great acting, great soundtrack. I mean, like that guitar work. Wow. Okay. Uh, I thought of the subject of growth uh, because I thought about, you know, we celebrate Easter uh, not long ago, and, and in some ways we're like, okay, Easter's finished, but are we still committed to growing uh, in the name of that one who rose after three days for us, because sometimes we can just get kind of lazy and somehow fool ourselves into thinking if we can just kind of hang there like Bobby in a very passive fashion that we're going to be just fine with our growth. But the New Testament is clear that we're called to be very intentional in our spiritual growth, very very proactive about it. We really need to grow as Jesus grew, and, and, and he really should be the one that motivates us to do this. And I'm Fascinated the more I, I reflect upon the fact that Jesus himself grew physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, every way that you and I do, and planned to do that and was obedient to doing that. Now, I want us to look at our first passage of Scripture. It's familiar, Luke two fifty two. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. A lot of times I'll hear messages or lessons on the nouns there, wisdom and stature and maybe in favor with God and all the people. I want to focus, though, on the verb grew. Jesus grew. That's just a phenomenal concept. And the thing is, the word for grow here is not the normal biblical word for grow in the Greek. It's proskoptos, which literally means to, to plow forward or to advance by, by cutting into undergrowth, to hack away at undergrowth or even to hammer away at something. It's a very aggressive term, a very intentional term, a very proactive term. In other words, Jesus hacked his way forward through life. Um, it was used to describe Roman soldiers back then who would hack away at undergrowth to advance the line that they had during a battle. Um, it also was used for metal workers back then who were trying to stretch some metal by hammering it. So it's talking about Jesus hammering his way through life and letting himself be exposed to all the challenges of life, all the temptations, all the pain, all the suffering, all the poverty, being exposed to all of that and doing that really on our behalf and really being our role model in terms of growth. He was willing to do that, and it was never easy for him. Same temptations you and I face, he faced them head on. You can tell that Jesus was not playing games at all when it came to growth. He met all the challenges proactively. He was not a Gnostic Jesus. You might remember the Gnostics back uh, in the first century. You had Gnostic Christians whom John really went after, if you read First and Second John, those briefer epistles. Uh, there were a group of Gnostics called the Docetists, and they denied the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. They thought that Jesus was just disguised as a human being, that he was actually fully divine. In other words, he did not face the temptations and the sufferings and look upon the sins that you and I deal with. You know, he didn't have to really go through all that. He really never did become hungry or thirsty or have physical pain or anything else like you and I have. That so infuriates John, you should read it. Do you know what he calls people in First and Second John who believe that way? He calls them antichrists. That's what he calls them. 
Because you're denying the fact that Jesus came, as it says in Philippians, he emptied of himself to come and, and live life and experience it exactly as we do. In a sense, setting aside his divinity, though he was still fully divine, setting that aside so he could expose himself to all that you and I face and really going through all phases of life. That's what's amazing to me. At least up to age 33, when his life was cut short, he went through all phases of life in order to identify with us. I love the way Irenaeus uh, said it, one of the great early church fathers in A.D. 170. I think I have it up there. It says, Christ came to save all through means of himself. He became an infant that he might redeem infants, a boy that he might redeem boys, a youth that he might redeem youths, and a man that he might redeem men. He became all of these and experienced all the unique stages and, and, and temptations and trials and sufferings that persons in each of these phases of life went through. And again, he grew in and through those stages, just as you and I go through tough times and difficulties, and we grow through those as all things, in all things, God works for good. But he did that on our behalf. He hacked and and, and plowed his way forward forcefully and proactively, and, and he grew in favor with God and man. Let's go back to Luke 2, 52. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. He grew in favor with God, obviously, because he was obedient enough to empty of himself and, and be exposed to all these things that you and I have to go through. And he grew in our favor, obviously, because he did that on our behalf, ultimately leading to the cross itself. And because he did that for us, you and I need to engage the world as he did. You know, we don't need to be Gnostic Christians ourselves you know, standing at arm's length from the world, because he was willing to be exposed to all of this in the world, we need to be willing to be exposed to all of it as well. The poverty, uh, the difficulties, the disappointments, uh, the failures, uh, the antagonism you might experience as a confessing Christian, the list goes on. We're called to let ourselves be exposed to that. And he really is our primary model for that. In other words, we don't sequester ourselves in the church house. We don't cocoon ourselves in some kind of protective bubble. We are willing to go out there into the world as a missional people and reach people. We don't want to be like Gnostic Christians. Uh, Recently, I read a piece by Chris Candia. Chris is a uh, writer from England, and she talks about living in the same house for well over 40 years, and and she talked about growing up that her family could always count on Mrs. Ogilvie, who lived right next door. Morning, noon, night, any time of the day, they always could count on her to have a spare key that they had given her just in case they locked locked themselves out, lost their keys, whatever it might be. She was always there, ever dependable. Why? Because she suffered from agoraphobia, which is what? Anybody know the fear of what? Open spaces. Fear of open spaces. Uh, Candia writes uh, in in her uh, memoirs there that, that she has lived there for 40 years, has never seen Mrs. Ogilvie go beyond her doorstep. Isn't that sad? But that's her life. Now, if you go into Mrs. Ogilvie's uh, living room, even today, apparently, there are pictures there on the mantelpiece from her honeymoon with Mr. Ogilvie, so you realize it wasn't always this way. Um, You see pictures of their children uh, on the beach, and and Mrs. Ogilvie is in some of those pictures, so it didn't used to be that way, but after Mr. Ogilvie died, uh, suddenly she just became very withdrawn, and she began to isolate herself, and she lived under this heavy cloud of fear and frustration. But I noticed especially what uh, uh, Chris Candia wrote at the very end of all this, and in fact, I think I've got it up there. Uh, she says, Now, frail in the twilight of life, Miss Ogilvie's curtains are almost always drawn. 
But now and then I still get locked out, and as she hands me the spare key, I am glad to see she is still alive. Then she goes on to say this, I see many parallels between Mrs. Ogilvie and the contemporary church. Many Christians observe the world from behind closed doors, bemoaning culture instead of engaging it. Many local churches are isolated from the wider community and world, suffering from fear of an open public square with divergent viewpoints and lifestyles. Yeah, it can be fearful to be a part of that public square, but Jesus calls us to engage it just like he did. Is it always going to be easy? No. Are we going to have failures along the way? Are we going to go through pain along the way? Sure, but as we grow through those, we do so just as he did and therefore challenges us to do. We're called to do that for others. And grow from those tough experiences. Now, fortunately, Jesus had the power of the Spirit within him. I've always thought it was cool that Jesus kind of set aside his divinity. Yes, he was still divine. Hear me on that. But he kind of set that aside so that the Spirit would work in and through him. It would empower him to do great things, really. That's what the New Testament teaches, was that it was the power of the Spirit that would cause him to perform miracles, to be sustained, to be protected, to be of courage, and to grow, as we're talking about here. It's the same spirit that's in you and me that can guide us and grow us through the most difficult of circumstances. I like what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 where it says we must crave the spiritual milk of the spirit in order to grow in our salvation. What do I say uh, every Sunday for the benediction? Uh, 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 you have been redeemed and you are what? Being redeemed. You're still growing. And it's really the power of the Spirit, just as Jesus had the power of the Spirit. We have that very same power, which is kind of amazing to think about. And we're blessed with fellow members of the body of Christ who help us get through those difficult times and learn from them and grow from them. We celebrate mothers today. You know, how many of us think of our mothers immediately in terms of someone who was always there for support, for comfort, uh, for encouragement, for strength, just being there for us, and mentors in the church uh, mother figures in the church, just people who have always been there for us. You know, who comes to mind for you? When I mention that, not just mothers, but somebody who's been a mentor for you, somebody who's been there for you at a point of weakness, who comes to mind? And, and we can just give such thanks to those people who are members of the body. Now, uh, Deanna and I are going to be heading to South Africa uh, very soon. We look forward to uh, meeting up with the folks at uh, uh, Living Hope, uh, who we've worked with down there, and Kay, you know it's Caleb's second home now, actually. But we're excited about getting down there. There might be one or two other people we're excited about seeing. But uh, we're going to get down there soon. And, and I love that you know I'm a nerd, so I'll do research on oh, what more can I learn about South Africa? And recently, I learned about these trees that have the longest, largest roots in the world, and they're down in South Africa. It's the wild fig trees of South Africa, but what's cool is these are above what they call the echo caves. And what's amazing is <laughs> these are the longest tree roots in the world. Now, I don't know how tall that is. It's probably fairly, fairly tall, but the roots go down over 400 feet. I want you to think about that, 400 feet. And they actually go in and through a lot of the caves here. Go to the very next one. You can see there's a root right over here that's kind of snaking its way down into the water. Now think about how the nutrients have to move all the way up 400 feet just to get to the tree. You have all these cells that do it. It's by, by osmosis. Sue Davis was in the first service, and she was nodding. So, you know, she's a Ph.D. in chemistry, so I was getting it right. Uh, but uh, uh, it's by osmosis that, that it goes up there. But the thing is, you have a lot of strong, healthy cells, but as they're traveling up that long, long route... A lot of times you bump in, they bump into these uh, weaker cells. 
But it's interesting what they do because what they wind up doing is joining with those weaker cells and pulling them up as well so they can get as much nutrients as possible. Now, I think about that and I think about the church. I think about times when I have been a weak cell, so to speak, and I think of people in this room right now who have been strong cells for me, pulling me up as I'm doing my best to grow and to help the growth of the church. And that really is what we're called to do uh, for one another. And we, we, we you know, spread that growth. We don't just grow for ourselves, obviously. We spread that growth. And really the word spread there leads to our other uh, scripture passage because it's an interesting word for grow here. Let's go to Second uh, Peter 3.18. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think this is really cool. It's, in the active, uh, it's an active verb in the Greek, so it literally means you must go on growing in grace. It's active. You've got to be doing it all the time. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. Amen. Now, again, it's an interesting word here for growth. Uh, it's oxano in the Greek. And it has two specific meanings, and I think this is interesting. It means to increase and to spread. You know, we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we grow that grow that way for our own personal increase, but also in order to spread it to others. So I love the double meaning of that word. We grow for ourselves, but really we grow ultimately that we might impart it on other people. And we go on growing and do it intentionally each and every day. And I can't help but think of who wrote this, Peter. Think of him. He's probably an older man at this point. He probably knows that he is uh, soon to be martyred in some way. By tradition, it was upside down on a cross, as you know. And he knows that's coming along soon. This is the last verse that we know of that he wrote. This is the very end of 2 Peter. This was his final imparting message to us. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that he is a walking example of that? Think about his earlier days when he was brash, kind of cocky, self, you know, self-confident, suddenly falls flat on his face when he denies Jesus, and yet Jesus forgives him, restores him. And he really learns about the knowledge of Christ, particularly the sovereignty of Christ. He realizes, wait a minute, you're not just this earthly king, you're not just this political messiah, you are you know, a heavenly messiah. One who rose from the dead. And he comes to understand the sovereignty of Jesus all the more in a brand new way. And that's the parting shot he has for us. Grow in grace and grow in knowledge of him. Now those are his last words. And, and he grew. And you and I can grow. And thank God we can grow, first of all, in grace. Grace upon grace. Where is it where you get great is thy faithfulness, uh, the wonderful hymn, Lamentations three twenty-two and 23? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Now, I want you to think about this. The the word there, hadas, in in the Hebrew, which means uh, new, the way I learned this passage was uh, great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new each and every day. Here, his mercies begin afresh. Hadas literally means uh, never before experienced. Now, I want you to think about that. Each and every day, you experience grace that you have not experienced before. You have chada each and every day. You grow in this grace that is different each day. Why? Because you don't sin today exactly the way you sinned yesterday and the day before and the day before. His graces are new every day. Now, I want you to do this. Figure out your age, not by years, but by days. Because each one of those represents a unique day where you experience the grace of Jesus in a new way. If you are, what's the first one, 18? When you turn 18, you have experienced around 6,500 unique mercies. 
That many days, if you get to what, is it 35? Nearly 13,000 unique mercies each one of those days that you have lived. What about retirement age? Almost 24,000 unique mercies. And as you know, what's amazing is within each of those thousands and thousands of days of unique mercies, you have within that every hour, every minute really, these unique graces each and every day. New mercies each and every day that you live. Is that not worth growing into, growing towards, leaning into? Absolutely. We grow in grace and in knowledge. And and 2 Peter, he talks a lot about the sovereignty of Jesus, how one day all is going to be well. He is going to overcome the powers of darkness and set things right, make things all just for everyone. And Peter needed that knowledge Because again, he knew that he was soon to be martyred. He knew that he was going to sacrifice his life. So that's why he focuses a lot, I think, in that second letter on God's sovereignty. Now some of you have read, how many of y'all have read anything from Dallas Willard or John Ortberg for that matter? Because John Ortberg, anybody read Dallas Willard? Great writer, uh, great Christian philosopher. uh, Died a couple years ago, I think. Uh, Keith has led um, some studies on Willard and on John Ortberg, but... Uh, anyway, an amazing guy who taught philosophy out in California for years, and his last interview, his final interview, was a two-hour interview where the interviewer talked to him a lot about the, the, the struggles of the church these days and what we go through and how politicized they can get and how people can be rather petty sometimes in the church. And he w- it went on and on, you know, stuff that all of us know about. And it went on for nearly two hours. And then the last question of the interviewer for Dr. Willard was this. He said, Dr. Willard, when you look at how off track the church is, do you ever just throw up your hands in despair? And quickly, Willard said with a bright smile on his face, never. Never. And he said, well, how can you not, Dr. Willard? And he said this. This is the last words of his final interview before, you know, he went to be Uh, in heaven. He said, because I know Christ is the head of his church, and he knows what he is doing. (laughs) I know that Christ is the head of the church, and he knows what he is doing. This Christ who engaged life fully, was willing to engage it fully, therefore you and I need to follow his lead and engage the world as well, even the difficulties of it. That is how we grow as he grew. He is the head of this body. He's also the head of this table, And that brings us to this, uh, this wonderful, if you will, double meaning, this wonderful spread of the bread and the drink, which reminds us that as we increase in our faith and our knowledge and our grace because of him, we spread that to others. I'd like for us to prepare ourselves for the table. Let's have a moment of prayer. Lord, we are so unworthy, and yet you offered your body in brokenness to us. Uh, You shed your blood for us. Even long before that, you came here and grew just like us and experienced all of that just as we do, tempted in every way like us yet without sin. No doubt you would have been willing to live beyond 33 years and continue to live through all of these stages of life so you could fully identify with anyone of any age, but your life was cut short and it was done so for us. So as we enter into this meal, Lord Jesus, help us to remember your greatest of sacrifices. And help us to see, in a sense, the bread being seed for us and the drink being water for us that we might grow within. We pray these things in your name.
Amen. We're going to ask that we do this the usual way where people over here exit out that way toward the wall and then come forward to receive the elements here. Please pick up the elements, the, the bread and the cup, and then go back to your seat and have some time of prayer and meditation. And when you feel led to receive it, you go ahead and uh, take of the bread and the drink when you feel led. You guys here coming up this way, going back, you all toward the wall and then coming up this way. The table awaits you. pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of, of being able to travel forward to receive the bread uh, and the cup. Uh, in a way, it reflects a journey that we undergo uh, full of uh, joys and triumphs as well as defeats, disappointments, and yet you're with us every step of the way, and you show that most, most fully when we arrive at the table and receive uh, these which remind us of your most ultimate sacrifice for us, and for that we are so grateful. We simply ask that we would grow in grace and in knowledge, both of you and, and of others, that we might reach them all the more effectively, that they might become the disciples that you so desire that they become. We thank you for this time, Lord Jesus, and ask uh, that you continue to be with us as we strive to grow in a way that's pleasing to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.